looking at like what our influence is supposed to be. We talked about that a little bit last week, like looking at the woman at the well and how, man, she had the gospel, she had met Jesus, she had life change, and that's all she had. And she took that back to her village, and she basically just, man, she told them what she had seen, what she had heard, and she said, you guys need to see and hear this too. Uh, God called her, and then he equipped her. He equipped her with the gospel right then, right there. And that's the type of influence that we need to have, that we need to display. But today, we're going to talk about it from like a family level. Uh, the word that we're going to use is, is church. And so here's the question. The question is, what should the influence of the church be? Okay, now, I'll go ahead and admit, um, we're going to ask what it should be, but I also want to go ahead and throw out there that it's probably not this right now, at least in our country, because we have to look at influence from the church from two seats, okay? One seat is, what should the influence of the church be to the church, or what should the influence be inside the church from the church, and then what should the influence of the church be to those outside of the church? So inward and outward, those are our two seats, and, and like, to be honest, um, now, I can only speak to how we're living right now in this country, in this time, and in this place. The influence that we should have to the outside world uh, as the body of Christ, I'll be honest, we don't have it. Okay, We don't have what we're going to talk about today. And I'm not talking about just our small church family, but I'm talking about the church in the United States, the body of Christ here. Um, to be honest, we are no longer known uh, for what we are for. We're known for what we're against. That switch happened around the 70s. Uh, in the United States, like to be honest, like when we came in and we established a country, there was a lot of assumed uh, power and authority given to the church based on the culture at the time. And as that culture has changed for this country, we have lost the influence that we're going to talk about today. We just don't have it. Uh, because like I said, we're far more known for what we're against than what we're for. And so that's a problem. That's a problem. It limits the, the effectiveness of mission. It limits our ability to share Jesus. It limits a lot of things. It's not overcomable. I mean, it's not inovercomable. We can do that uh, because we actually have the Holy Spirit that's inside of us, and none of this catches God off guard. But just, you know, to be honest, like the type of influence we're going to talk about today, we don't have it. We need it. We need to work towards it, and that's the reason we're going to talk about it, but we don't, we don't have it. Um, and so a little bit of background before we even jump into... Uh, the 47 passages we're going to look at today. There aren't 47. There are 46. Uh, we're not. Anyway, sorry, that's bad jokes. It, it scares people a lot when the pastor says there's that many. There aren't. Um, talk about just this idea quickly. We, we kind of pitched it out last week when we handed down an hourglass to the, the awesome Bama Adams of you know, the way we think about church. Uh, we can no longer afford and, and actually think wrongly about it, that it's a building, it's a structure, it's four walls, it's an organization, because it's not. Uh, if we look in Scripture, church is always referred to as a group of people. The word that we use and translate into church in English is actually ecclesia. Ecclesia is used in three ways when it's referring to the church. Uh, in a general sense, it basically just means a, an assembly or a gathering of people, just in its lowercase e form, an assembly or gathering of people. Uh, as it's applied to what, when we're talking about the church, we see it used in three senses. One, and we're going to relate it to family, one is talking about the local church. Anytime we enter into an epistle and it says the church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi, the church at Colossae, any of those, it's talking about the local expression of the church, lowercase c church, that local family. So if we're thinking in family terms, uh, this is the immediate family, immediate family. So for me, if I'm thinking in terms of that, that's like the family that lives under my roof. It's my wife, my two kids. That's my immediate family. That's my ecclesia there. In the way that we refer to it here, man, that's origins. 
This is our immediate family. If you call this your faith family, your church home, so to speak, home is where the heart is, where the people are, this is your immediate family. This is your ecclesia. That's the first way that we see it uh, when, it's, when it's talked about here, the way it introduces uh, the church at. By the way, when it said the church at, it was never a brick-and-mortar street address, by the way. It was never 256 Karen Hart Lane. It was never that. No, it was a group of people in a particular place, local expression, immediate family. The second way that we see it, uh, the way Paul's referring to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, and other places, he was like, I was persecuting the church. He wasn't talking about the church at a specific place, but he was talking about the bigger umbrella in a specific time, not a place, ecclesia, all believers in this time. I was persecuting them, is what he said. So this, our second sense, is talking about the church, capital C church, in a given time or a period, Ecclesia. I was persecuting the church at that time. And so for us, this would be our extended family. So I have my family lives under my roof. You have your family lives under your roof. Um, and then we have extended family. I have brothers. I have sisters. I have nieces. I have nephews. I have grandparents. I have aunts, uncles, extended family. For you, what this represents is the church down the street that also claims Jesus is the only way to be saved. Okay, it also means the church across the city. It also means the church in another state. It also means the church in Africa, the church in China. For believers right now in this period, if they are clinging just to Jesus, period, not by works or anything else, ecclesia, family, extended family, all of us, brothers, sisters, okay? It doesn't matter, like, and, and I'll throw this out there, doesn't matter what denominational affiliation, doesn't matter if they don't even have a denomination, as long as it's by faith alone, through Christ alone, with grace alone, if it's that, Period? Yeah, extended family. All brothers and sisters. May have never met them, may never meet them, but same struggle, same Jesus, same Father, same Savior, same Spirit, same mission, all places right now in this time. Ecclesia. The third way that we see it, uh, we see it in Ephesians 5, which we're going to look at in just a second, but it's like capital T-H-E, capital C church, like the church. And when we're talking about the church, it means all believers in all places at all times throughout history. So what would this would mean in family terms? My entire family tree. Before me, after me. The church. All places, all time, all believers forever. Believe it or not, Paul is my brother. Believe it or not, Peter is my brother. Believe it or not, Thomas, Andrew, Mar Mary Magdalene, my sister, all extended family, ecclesia, the church. All places, all times, if they're clinging to just Jesus by grace through faith. Family, the church, Ecclesia. Now understand that there's no way that one building, one place, one location could possibly contain all of these. And so we go ahead and have to divorce ourselves from the idea that a church, as beautiful as a building is, has anything to do with an address or a building because it does not. And I'll go ahead and get on my soapbox and tell you the reason that we are in the mess in this country now is we have rested in buildings, we have trusted in stained glass, and we have believed that buildings are going to save people, that programs are going to bring people to Jesus, when in reality, Family leads people to Jesus. Family lives on mission together. Buildings do not save people. Period. Now, can a building be a tool? Absolutely. Would we like to have a tool that we could live in Monday through Sunday? Yes. Do we? No. But we have homes. We have businesses. We have people. So we have all we need. The church is a family. And until we start that shift in our brain, and in our hearts, we're going to place our hope in the wrong things. And we're going to come up woefully short. Okay, stepping off my soapbox. So, 
Uh, a couple things that we need to know about the family really quickly. Uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Uh, we're going to look there quickly first, and we're going to have that on the screen. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. By the way, this he is Jesus. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The first thing that we need to understand is that this family that we call the ecclesia, the church, in all times, in all places, local or spread out, Jesus is the head. Jesus is the head. There's no room for two heads. There, there can't be. There's just one. Because when you got two, they bump into each other and stuff doesn't get done. There's just Jesus. He must be in charge. He's before all things. He's more important than all things. He holds all things together, and it's his. Scripture goes on to say that he is the cornerstone. The cornerstone is that, that first brick that was laid that determines whether everything else is plumb, and if it's not there, everything falls out of whack by technical terminology. We don't want to be out of whack. So Jesus holds all things together. In Ephesians 5, through 26, which is generally a passage that we read uh, in weddings, and rightfully so, um, it's going to be up there as well. In this particular passage, it says that we're going to read it all. Don't worry, we're not going to shy away from this. Don't get upset at me. Don't write angry letters. If you would like to talk about the context of this passage, man, I'd be more than happy to meet you with coffee, and I'll meet you with my wife so she can tell you too. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Again, his body and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Don't worry, it keeps going. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's happening. There we go. Oop, that's all that was on there. Well, that's weird. It cut that off. And so basically it continues with this idea that Christ is the head of the church, and not only that, but Christ is its Savior. And it continues and it says uh, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And so it's saying that not only is Christ the head of the church, but Christ is the Savior of the church, not works, not programs, not buildings, not budgets, not booties, not any of those things. Christ is the only Savior of the church. That's it. There is no other Savior of the church. And to be honest, like we trust in a lot of different things. Like, we do trust in that bottom line, you know, that budget. If we don't have that budget, we can't do it. Now, budget's great. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like, it's amazing to see the sacrifice of the people of origins, especially through the pandemic. Like, the giving has kept going up, and so our giving outward has kept going up. Our ability to bless nonprofits that serve Jesus in this city has gone up. Our ability to bless people in this city that are serving Jesus, that are planning a church, has gone up. That's a beautiful thing to work in. But it's Jesus that saves the church, not that budget. If the budget disappeared, the church would not disappear. It's still Jesus. He holds it together. He's its Savior. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, just back a page. Uh, I'm going to trust the one in front of me instead of that. Hopefully we can, that's my fault, no one else's. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The other thing that we need to understand about Jesus is he's the cornerstone which we mentioned, but he's also the agent of growth. Jesus is the reason the church grows. Jesus and his all-powerful, all-knowing, the word we would use is sovereign will, he's the reason the church grows. Okay, our best efforts, to be honest, are not. Now, we need to put our best efforts forward because that's important. We need to be led by Jesus and we need to follow the Spirit and put our best efforts for us. But understand, again, Jesus holds it together, Jesus saves it, and Jesus is the one that grows it. Now, he calls us in, uh, if we look at the parable of the sower, and we get to prep the soil. That's an amazing thing. We get to remove the rocks. We get to remove the thorns, the thistles. I don't really don't know what a thistle is, but I know what a thorn is. We get to remove those in preparation for the gospel to come and take root in people's lives. But that's Jesus who does that, and Jesus grows the church. Even on my best day, I can't save a soul. Even the most beautiful building with the most ornate everything cannot save a soul, cannot grow the church. Jesus holds it together. Jesus saves it. And Jesus grows it. And Jesus is also the one that determines whether or not it's plumb and it's right. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundation that it was built upon. And so the church is a family. The church is a group of people in a local place a little bit further out. And then it spans all time. And Jesus, Jesus is the one that holds it all together. Jesus is the one that saves it. Jesus is the one that grows it. And so if all of those things are true, here's the question. What should our influence be? If we're this family, if we're this family that's been called out of, uh, of the sinful world into a kingdom of God and placed into this ecclesia, this family, what should our influence like? Well, I think first uh, we need to look at what it looks like on the inside. Because I do believe this. Like if we read Acts, like we were talking, there's no one passage that we could read that would tell us all these things about the church that we would like to talk through today unless we read the whole book of Acts. And that would be a long time. And I would have to, yeah, that would be a rough day. We could do it, but it'd be hard. But if we read like the early parts of Acts, the one thing that we realize is that this church, the reason that God blessed them, the reason and the way that God grew them, the way that he held them together was the way that they took care of each other on the inside. It didn't mean that was the only thing they did, but it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The preceding line says, and they had favor with all the people. All the people is not just the people in the camp, but it's also the people outside of the camp. But we have to look on the inside. The first thing, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, uh, it starts off with this idea, and it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or personhood, to the measure of the statute of the fullness of Christ." so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The first place that we need to look at that influence and what it should do, the influence that the church has to to itself should be pushing us all towards maturity. That's the first influence. 
Because believe it or not, we have lateral influence upon each other based on what God has done with us. It even says that he calls these people, the prophets, the teachers, the evangelists, all of those. But he called them all and gifted them all so that the church could grow in maturity as individuals and as a body. Like the first influence that we need to understand is that, that we don't gather together on Sundays just to sing some songs and just to feel good that we check something off the box. No, we gather together on Sunday to circle the wagons around Scripture and around the purpose and the pleasure of Jesus so that we may grow into individuals who look more and more like Him. And then we get to further that when we leave on Sundays and when we have relationship. Yes, there's a word there, relationship. When we're interacting with one another on a personal level and we're pushing each other towards maturation in Jesus. And then, even in community groups, when they start back, we're going to keep going with it. Like, we meet together in homes, and we discuss Scripture, we discuss life, we discuss all of those things. We discuss sin, we discuss repentance, we discuss all those things in order to push each other towards a place of maturity in Jesus. Like, the church should be influencing the church to look more and more like Christ. And then the whole body does as well, on an individual basis than on a collective basis. Like That's the first influence. The second influence we find in Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. It's going to be up on the screen. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The second way in which the church influences the church, the inside influence, is through restoration. Restoration. Because even in pushing each other towards maturity in Jesus, that's a great thing. We're actually taking head knowledge, letting it get into our heart and letting it get out. But also there's something else that comes in, and it's actually sin and burden. And one of the ways in which we love each other is we love each other in the midst of that, and we love each other through that, and we try to push each other away from that and pull each other out of that. It says, if any of you is caught in any transgression or any sin, you who are spiritually mature, pull them out. Get them out. We do that through support. We do that through restoration. We do not want people lingering in their sin. Why? Because it's not good for them, and we love them. Sin is, sin is bad. I mean, I know that's, that's your million-dollar million dollar statement right there. Three words. Sin is bad. And we shouldn't want our brothers and our sisters mud, meddling in it and living in it like we pull them out. We get them out. And that's influence. And that's a big deal. Because to be honest, if we just walked around and tolerated each other's sin, that wouldn't be loving at all. It's, uh, look at like how we raise our kids. And even just little things like if my kid goes out, if Caleb goes out and plays in the street and thinks it's okay, I have to tell them, no, that is not okay. You're going to get hit by a car and die. Like It's not loving for me to let him find that out on his own. It's loving for me to say, son, stop. Come back into the yard. Get back behind the fence, whatever it may be. That's loving. The same with brothers and sisters. The way that we influence one another, if we see one another in sin, we say, hey, I love you enough to tell you that's not where you need to be. How can we help? How can we get you out? I will pray for you. I will call you. I will talk to you. Man, I will, whatever it takes, what do I do to get you out of that? It's not loving to let people linger there. But verse 2, it also says, and bear one another's burdens. Like, bear one another's burdens. The other place of support, sometimes it's not as, as a result of someone else, their individual sin. Maybe it's a result of someone's sin that they've done towards them. They've been sinned against. And as a result of that, they're feeling a burden. A burden is a load. It's crushing them. This passage says the way that we exhort our influence, exert our influence within the church is we say, hey, it's a heavy load. Can I help you carry that? Literally, bear one another's burdens. 
Sometimes it, it may be anything through the, the, the past with COVID. We saw people burdened with the fact that they didn't have enough money to make ends meet. And guess what happened? People in this church bore one another's burdens. They brought checks and said, hey, whoever needs this, give it to them. And you, you know what we said? We said, okay, <laughs> we will. We've seen people like little things. Like I talk about this a lot, but I remember what it was like when someone has a new baby. Like, life is chaos. Everything is flipped upside down. You guys have been incredible about just saying, hey, you know what? For the next three, four weeks, you're not going to have to think about meals. We're going to feed you. And I know that seems simple because maybe you only took two meals, but guess what? It was one less thing they had to think about. It was one less burden that they didn't have to bear. That's a big deal. The influence of the church to the church very often, yes, it is. Let me pull you out of sin. Let me push you away from that. But also, that load looks heavy. Let me help you carry that. Let me help you carry that. The third way, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, simple passage that's often tossed out when we, when we talk about the church. Verse 24, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of, son, of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The third way that we influence within the church is just simply this. It's one word, and we're terrible at it. Not we, but just like we, humanity, encouragement encouragement. Man, we're great at pointing out flaws. Man, we're good at that. Hey, I love to be critical. I love to critique you as long as it's something that you did wrong. Like, I mean, that's, that's the way that we function most often. But what about the times that people do things right or they're doing well? Like, man, this is one of the ways in which we influence the church is we go into our brothers and sisters and say, hey, you know what? You're doing good. You're doing well. How do we stir one another up? Here's the catch on that, and it came to me this morning. You can't stir a pot that you're far away from The thing that catches us on all, every single one of these, is as much as I appreciate the technological advancement that we've had and the ability to actually watch from afar over the past year, there's no substitute for being together. There's no substitute for being relationally tethered. And sometimes in order to encourage one another, in order to bear one another's burdens, in order to push and pull someone away or towards goodness, and actually in order to encourage someone or stir their pot, we need to be near them. We need to be connected to them. We need to have a relationship with them. Can we do it through text? Absolutely. Can we do it from afar? Yes, for a while. But I'll be honest, at some point, man, and people may get upset, at some point we actually have to be close to each other. We have to be near each other, proximally and relationally, because one bleeds into the other. Relationship is tethered to all of these. For us, what does this look like? Well, the first is, just like this passage says, do not neglect to meet with one another. Hey, that's Sundays. That is. It's a big deal. But it's also community groups. It's also coffee. It's also dinner. Uh, it's going out and, and hunting together, fishing together, if that's your thing. I don't know anybody that it is, but it works for me. Or maybe it, whatever it may be, be together. Like we have to, there's no substitute for being together. Like that whole word, ecclesia, it's actually a group of people at a place at a time. Like it, it's important be together. That's the first and easiest step. The second is this, man, serve one another. Serve one another. If there's a need, take care of it. If you can handle it, take care of it. If you can't handle it, come to us and we'll take care of it. But if you can, do it. And you don't even have to tell anybody, believe it or not. You don't even have to post it on Instagram or, or, or any of those things. You don't, you don't have to do it. You can just take care of a need. It's amazing what happens when we just love one another. The Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved just because they, they loved one another. And then the third I would say is, man, we need to serve together. So 
man, we be together, we serve one another, and then we serve together. We actually love inside, and then we actually start to take it outside, which is going to connect us to the next idea. But we actually go and serve together. Man, the thing that connected us to our church in Columbia, like when we, when we moved there, we, we bounced around for a couple years, and it wasn't a perfect church by any means, but it was a great church. And the one thing that connected us is the very first week that, they, that we got there, they said, hey, uh, we're going to be going in this neighborhood, and we're going to be fixing some stuff next week. And I'm like, man, we've been asking for that for the past two years. Every church we bounced around. And then I made the mistake of showing up with brand new tools, so they thought I knew how to use them, and I became the foreman of the work site. And I'm like, bad idea, really bad idea. I don't know what a right angle is if it hit me in the face, but, but I can fake it. Um, but, man, quick opportunity to serve together. We do our best here to figure out ways to plug people in and say, look, uh, we're going to love one another, but we also need to love on the outside. Go and do this. Over the next several weeks, like, Zach's going to pitch out more and more ideas, like PMAC, um, Miracle Hill, uh, the local schools. We're going to have places where, you know what, here's all you have to do. Show up. That's it. Show up. It may be passing out a book bag in a, in a neighborhood that you don't know. Show up. You don't even have to bring the book bags. We will. Serve together. And here's the other thing I think I'll point out before I move on to the next, the next big one. I think, like maybe a confession on my part, I was talking to Neil like, I think we do have to understand that as a church, as a family, everybody has a role. Like, if we look at 1 Corinthians and we look at the spiritual gifts, like, every one of these are given for the, up, the building in and the growth of the church, and they're important. And so it, it implies this, that we all play a part. We're all part of the body, and the body works best when every single part is doing its job. And I've made this statement, and I will not pull back on it, that if you're looking for a faith family uh, in which, or a church that you can come and sit and do nothing, and just sit in a chair week in, week out, I'll be honest, this is not the place for you. Because that's not, well, that's, that's not how we're going to function. We're going to be a church that is going to be smaller by intent so that we can divide and plant somewhere else later, and we're going to approach need and take care of need as soon as we can, how we can, with whatever we can in this city so that people may know and hear about the unrelenting love of Jesus Christ, and so we need all hands on deck. Every hand, no matter what your gift is, we need those. But here's the thing that I probably haven't said enough. And for this, I apologize. If you're wounded, if you're exhausted, and you're unable, it's okay to sit. It's okay to heal. Because while the church is a battleship prepared to go, it's also a hospital. And so if that's you, that's okay. You sit. You heal. But when you're good enough, jump back in. Because we can't do what God's called us to do unless everybody does. But if you need to heal, if you need to sit, if you need to rest, by all means, do that. And here's, here's the big idea on this. We can't know what you need unless you tell us. Your brothers and your sisters can't know what burden you're carrying unless you tell them. We can't know sometimes what sin that you're battling unless you tell someone. And so if we want to do these things, we have to be relationally connected, but we actually have to open our mouths too. And so if I'm battling something... Someone needs to know. If I'm carrying something that's too heavy, someone needs to know. If I am worn out, if I am wounded, if I feel stranded, if I feel like a ship in the middle of the ocean and there's not a wind to be felt and my sail is slack, someone needs to know. Because we can't serve you, we can't love you, we can't push you, we can't pull you. You can't do it for me unless someone knows. So speak. So that's the influence on the inside. Here's the influence on the outside. I think the first and foremost, we look to the Great Commission. Great Commission, super simple, Matthew 28, Acts chapter 1. We see that Jesus said, look, I'm about to leave you, and when I do, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm leaving you with a mission. I want you to go 
by all the authority that's given to me, I'm telling you, go make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And understand, I will be with you always. We continue to Acts, and it says, start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, go to uh, uh, Samaria, go to the ends of the earth. Start where you are, go a little bit further, uh, go to the place where they hate you and you hate them. Then go as far as you can possibly imagine. And here's what you take. You take what you've seen, you take what you've heard. You be just like the woman at the well, the Great Commission. We have to do that. We are not a social club. Uh, we do not exist to give you a tax write-off. No, no, no. The ecclesia, the church, exists so that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel, period, and to equip the saints so they're able to go out and talk about that. Your community group leader, your pastor, your elder, your shepherds, we cannot see your neighbors come to Christ, but you can can you save them? No, but you get to be the voice that speaks to them. According to Romans 10, faith comes through hearing and hearing the Word of God. You get to speak the Word of God. We talk about doing it through our story. Man, the influence that we have to the outside world, the first and foremost thing, needs to be the gospel. It needs to be the idea that the world needs Jesus because without Jesus, they are completely and utterly lost and there is no hope, just like we formerly were. And they need to hear that. Because no other truth will save them, no other building will save them, no other organization will save them. Just Jesus can save them. And they need to hear it. And we need to tell them. The second is this. Uh, the second influence that we get to share is, man, we get to show what genuine love looks like. Because I, believe it or not, the work of the regeneration of the Spirit in us, it's actually rebirthed us to do something that we were incapable to do of doing before we were completely separated and alienated from God by sin. We're actually able to love like Jesus. Do we do it all the time? No, but we're capable. And the world needs to see it. That Acts chapter 2 passage again, it says that they loved one another. And they loved each other well, and the world saw it, and they were like, man, I like that. I would like some of that. Can you tell me more? The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved because they love one another well. So we start on the inside. We love one another well. We serve one another. We serve together. We bear one another's burdens. We call out sin when necessary. We repent when necessary. We speak when necessary. We do all of those things together. The world gets to see. They get to see Jesus. But also, Scripture says that not only do we love one another as a new commandment, but it's also when they were asking Jesus, hey, what's the most important commandment? He said, well, Shema Yisrael, or Hero Israel. The Lord your God is one. Love him with all that you have. From the top of your head to the bottom of your foot and everything in between, love him with that. But also, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So we get to love inside, but we also get to love outside. And that means we love people in spite of their sin. We love people in spite of their predilections. We love people in spite of their voting behavior. We love people in spite of anything. We love them. And why do we love them? We love them so that they can see what the love of Jesus looks like just in a small part. We love them. And they get to see it by the way that we do. Imagine, like maybe you haven't, but even the, the, the best earthly love that you've ever seen, imagine how compelling that was for you the first time that you felt it. Remember back. Remember back the way that love compelled you the very first time that you really understood it. You really realized it. You, you felt it for the first time. Man, that person really loves me. Imagine the way that compelled you. Imagine the way it made you feel. Remember that. Man, the world needs to see what it feels like to be loved by Jesus. And we get to show them. The way that we love one another, the way that we get to love them, in spite of ourselves, we get to show them. And that's maybe our biggest influence that we have. Because it leads to words, it leads to actions, 
And hopefully it will lead us to the place that we get to share the gospel with anyone who will listen. Even those who won't. We love. And here's the, the last one that I'll say. As far as our influence to the outside world, believe it or not, Christ followers should be seeking to make this world around us better. Hey, and this is not an environmental statement. This is not a political statement. This is a biblical idea. We should be seeking to make the world around us better. You know, a lot of people call this kind of the, the predecessor to the Great Commission, but when Jesus was giving his Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under his feet. And then it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This idea of salt, man, I know it sounds crazy, but it's actually just this idea of we are to make things around us better. We're to add value, we're to add flavor, we're to add all of those things, and we're actually here to preserve. That's what salt does. We're called to be that. We're called to be the salt of the earth, to make things around us better, make our neighborhoods better, make our workplaces better, make our families better, make our ecclesia, local churches better, make the world around us better. Man, we do that through a variety of ways. Sometimes it's just a work ethic. Sometimes it's, it's muffins. I don't care. We make the world around us better. Instead of being people that complain at every turn, maybe we don't complain so much. Maybe we look at the fact that we've been redeemed from a world that didn't know Jesus and placed into a kingdom in which we're united with him, and there's not a whole lot left to complain about. Because guess what? Complaining doesn't fix Jack. But encouraging oftentimes does. Fixing things does. Seeing a problem and going after it without recognition does. But complaining fixes little. We need to look at the world around us and say, hey, where can I interject what God has given me to make this better? It may mean that you get on your HOA. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants that job. Maybe you do. Maybe you go to your kid's school and you're not a teacher and you say, hey, what do you need? What can I do? Do you need somebody to read to a kid before they go to class in the morning in the library? It's called a reading buddy. Guess what? We can set that up. Maybe there's a kid that's an at-risk kid that just needs a mentor. They don't have a single positive influence in their life, and they just need someone to tell them that they're of value. Guess what? You can do that. We can set it up. Maybe you need to go and get on your town council or your neighborhood council just because you look at the neighborhood and it's rough and you want to make it better. Maybe you take some time out of your day. Maybe I take some time out of my day and I say, what can I do to make this better? Instead of complaining, which fixes squat... Do something. Be salt. And guess what? As a result of being salt, we also get to be light and point people towards truth. Therefore, expanding our influence. Not so that we get more followers, but so that Jesus does. That's the point. Remember, the existence of the ecclesia, the family, is to make his name great. What are all the ways that we can do that? We start inside, we go outside, and we let him do it. We just get to play a part. Just get to play a part. Man, the church will be ineffective 
if people think we hate them. That's one thing. The church will be ineffective if we do nothing. That's another. And the church will be ineffective if we're placing our hope and our trust and the power of what Christ has given us in the wrong things. We need to realize that we've been redeemed into a family, not a building, not an organization, and we've been placed on a mission that existed well before we ever uttered the name of Jesus. And we need to be willing to go after it. In the name of Jesus, in the power of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, until he comes back. Until he comes back. That's when we get to stop. And then our job changes. But that's for another day. God, we thank you that your church is living, that your church is uh, moving, that your church is not dead. God, for our part in the places that we need to confess and we need to repent, I pray that you would move in us and allow us to do so. But not just lift service, not just lip service, but so God, we can actually not just turn from inactivity or wrong thinking or wrong heart, but actually turn towards what you want us to turn towards and run with it. God, I pray this city would be better because of us, because of other churches like us. I pray, God, that your kingdom would be growing on a daily basis as a result of the ways that you've given us influence in the people's lives around us, starting inside, moving outside. God, I thank you that Jesus is the head of the church and that we get to trust in his redeeming work. We get to trust in his growth power. We get to trust in his leadership. Father, remind us daily that he's in charge that this is his deal, and he graces us with the ability to participate. God, I do pray for this church. I pray for origins, God, and I pray for our partner churches in this city. God, I pray that you would allow us to have great favor with those around us, those who know you, those who don't. And as a result of that favor, Father, I pray that your gospel would have great influence. And I pray that men and women would give their lives to you and pursue you for the rest of their time here. And God, I pray that we would work diligently. I pray that we would work tirelessly and understand, God, that the point of this existence, every single bit of it, is you. It's you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Spirit. Thank you for being our Father. And thank you for a mission that's bigger than any one church could possibly handle. We love you. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.